0: and we are live on this episode of the podcast we are joined by one of the best soccer minds i've had the opportunity to work with current head coach for the university of akron jared Embick. how's it going i appreciate you coming on yeah i'm doing well yourself yeah pretty good staying busy Uh, i'm really looking forward to this podcast there's a lot i want to talk about with you Um, and if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast you've heard about jared Uh, and his knowledge of the game. Um, If you listen to the episodes with Aiden, Adam, Richie, or Brad, you've heard about the influence Jared's played um, in their career um, and in our career. Um, And we've learned so much about the game from him, uh, especially from a tactical standpoint. Um, And before we get into his knowledge of the game, to get the conversation started, I want to talk about the University of Akron team of the decade that was just posted on social media. You've been a part of all these teams. I wanna talk about who's deserving to be on that roster that may have been left off, um, because this was something that was voted on by the fans. Uh, So maybe there's some bias here. Um, I'm gonna read off the lineup. I'll also give a little background uh, of each of the players uh, for the listeners to get a better understanding uh, if they're not familiar with a particular player. Um, and then hopefully this will give you some more time to think. So the goalkeeper, Ben Lunt, he was drafted by FC Cincinnati um, and then loaned to Louisville last year. Defenders, João Moutinho, he was the first overall draft pick uh, by LAFC in 2018. Daniel Strachan, he's currently on the roster. Uh, Nico De Vera, currently with Timbers, uh, two in the USL Championship. DeAndre Yedlin, currently with Newcastle United in the Premier League. Uh, that completes the back four. Uh, onto the midfielders, it's a midfield three of Sam Toyega, who's currently on the roster. Adam Najem, he was signed by Philly Union. Uh, coming out of college and is now currently playing uh, in Poland. Richie Larea, uh, who's currently with Toronto FC and the Canadian national team. On to the front three, Michael Nanchoff, who's currently the assistant coach uh, for the University of Akron. He's a former pro, uh, played with Vancouver Whitecaps, Portland Timbers, and Tampa Bay Rowdies. Um, Jonathan Lewis, he was the third overall pick in 2015, currently with the Colorado Rapids. He's also been capped by the U.S. national team. And then Darlington Nagby, second overall pick in 2011, has played with Portland Timbers, Atlanta United, and is now at the Columbus Crew, has also been capped by the U.S. national team. So who's not on the roster that maybe needs to be considered?
1: Yeah, I think there's quite a few guys that that are deserving. Uh, Man, I don't, I don't know. You could, for me, the tough ones would be, you know, Zarek at center back Mm -hmm. because the way he he played at Akron really helped us uh, with define our style and and uh, build from the back you know as he played center back for us i know he's playing fullback in the pros
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know kofi was uh you know another tough one i mean it's hard to to replace deandre but i think kofi's intangibles um would be another one that i think could be on there um one of the guys that i i think is deserving but it's in a very difficult position you got two guys i think you have uh well, shoot, the midfield, you have Perry Kitchen, Aiden Quinn, Scott mm-hmm. Caldwell, Ampi. I think I think if you pick any of those four, they're deserving. Yeah. What I like about Quinn is that I think his will to win and his drive is um, something that makes everybody around him. So I may lean towards him, but, you know, Scotty and Ampi were so smart with their movements and uh, how to fit in with the team and bring it together and balance out the game um, they're also excellent choices. And then Perry, Perry's just a one man defensive machine back there. Um, yeah. so if you wanted to play very aggressively, he's, you know, essentially what we did in 2010 was defend with him, Zarek and Chad, everybody else pretty much go create. Right. Uh, so, th- so those guys can be added. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to say. I know we have a couple of current players, Strachan and, and Sammy and, uh, you know, Stracken, we moved to midfield. Um, but he's been to two Final Fours in three years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think he's, you know, maybe not. Because he's still playing, I think maybe he can still define his role in that team hopefully in the upcoming year. Sure. And then Sammy, Sammy, I think, is another one. Like uh, Quinn, I think uh, when you play with him, you appreciate him more than maybe when you watch him. Um, he's a talented player. But that that midfield's loaded. I mean, we, we could probably go past some of those guys too. But, you know. I would, uh, I would have a lot of headaches on that selection. So I don't don't know if I could choose anyone over, but I think those four kind of stand out when you go up top. Um, You know, guys for me, you know, I liked uh, Sam Gainford. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if he was, I think, a little bit more healthy, um, 2015 could have could have been different. You know, his first game back was the final four. Uh, Wasn't fully fit. you know he's a guy that can bring uh, some one on one play very strong in possession um, you know he's he's a lot of fun to work with center forwards, I mean you got Maddox, um you know for the college game just as athleticism's dynamic uh can open up the game especially when you have a lot of other people want it you got eggbo who could be could be the best when it's all said and done
2: mm-hmm. um
1: you know depending on on where he goes from here
2: sure
1: you know those two guys uh, you know, you got guys like uh, Ronaldo Brenes, um, who I who I love, just yeah. a team player, hard yeah. worker, um, great guy to, to have on a team. On the right wing, um, goodness, you can go with other guys. I mean, Lewis was just so dynamic, but you have guys that have played there, uh, Zach Partias, mm-hmm. you know, pretty dynamic player. Then you had uh, Gonzalo Suarez. I don't know if he was up for the vote, but he's he was a very balancing guy uh teammates liked um sean Seppi had potential until he hurt his shoulder
3: mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: uh, to be on that list but uh you know the the problem with the 2000 with the all decade team that i think made it difficult is you had the championship in, at the beginning right and then you had a lot of the, a lot of those guys leave so do you put someone who who played six months and even had a productive six months so you see like natchoff got in there uh, but a guy like Perry Kitchen didn't, or Ampi didn't,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know. So it's like, how how are you going to weigh the production of guys like Nanchov Nag being there six months versus guys who had great careers, um, you know, like Caldwell and Quinn, some of those guys that played multiple years in the decade.
0: Right. I that, think that's that was a, lost too,
1: right? Know. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, you look at our other Final Four appearances, you know. Uh, eighteen obviously pretty close. I mean we didn't bring up guys like Marcel or our sky who are who are very talented players. Um you know, you, I think the fifteen team was probably the one uh fifteen and nineteen you really you really wish that you could have won it with those teams. And then the seventeen team I, I really liked. I, I just think that Stanford team was maybe the best team of the decade that that two thousand seventeen Stanford version. Wow. They were well yeah. oiled. We've got Corey Baird and some of those guys that are doing pretty well at the pro level. I just thought their experience and execution of their system at, at that was the best we've seen of any opponent.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, or else our 17 team, I think, would have won it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that was how many times? Stanford was three in a row, right? And you came up yeah. against them twice one in yeah. 15 and then one in 17. And that yeah. that team in seventeen was was primarily seniors of Stanford for Stanford?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they had uh Hilgard Arce who I think was a top two pick, uh right. Corey Baird. Uh, they, they had still some of the guys like Tanner Beeson was on that team. Uh uh they had the four that's playing for Timbers, too. Uh, I forget his name, but uh Langsdorf. Mm-hmm. Uh you know they they just had a really solid team they all knew what they were doing and very tough to play against as you could tell i don't think they gave up a goal in three of those tournament runs Mm -hmm. and until we beat them in the elite eight um i thought 15 you know stanford was better in the first half but i thought after that our, our team was better played better and was more likely to win and we actually had two chances to win in pks and and missed them um so that one's a little salty um
0: before we get into before we get into those, because I know your memory is as sharp as a nail, so I want to get into I want to get into your background before we go into those games. Yeah. But that the fact that you bring those up, I definitely want to get into those, and and uh, I won't even share the details now of what I want to get into. But um, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, uh, we I've had conversations with with Adam and Aiden, Brad, uh, Richie they've all mentioned how much they've learned from you and how much they've now implemented that into their play. Um, and and I've used it myself now coaching um, at the, the high school age level. Um, so we've obviously gotten it from you. Where did you get your knowledge from the game? Was there a coach or was there a, a player that you played with, was there uh somebody else involved in the game uh that that gave you uh this push of of knowledge to that you now use or was it research done on your own uh, a combination of of what uh you've learned from other coaches yeah. and from from your own learning
2: yeah you
1: know i th- i think uh the best uh, coaches it's always a combination of everything mm mm-hmm playing experience coaches you've worked with your own coaching experience uh research um you know i guess to tie it all together you know when i played grew up i played at uh high school in granite city illinois and that they had 10 state championships but my coach really our trainings were uh fitness um set pieces tackling (laughs) Uh, very- very mentality based so you you played on the field based on your fitness and mentality first sure. skill level second so you know me growing up in the you know back then our town's just a blue collar town steel town um, one of the important things I think in my development is uh we would play a lot in the park after school, whether it mm. be three v three sometimes it'd go to eleven v eleven and you 're only playing about fifty yards by thirty. And the goal is two yards wide, two shoes, and one goal wins. Um, if you're off, you got to run a lap around the park, which is about a little over a mile.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then if you get back on, uh, you have to wait till the next goal. So you may play one game in wow. two hours if it's a bad day. But what you learn there is look, um, the older players taught you. So, you know, you could call fouls. Um, if you called a cheap foul, then they just kick the living daylights out of you for the next two hours to teach you a lesson. And uh, you make one mistake and you make older guys sit out for two hours. Well, that's that's not going to go well. So mm-hmm. I learned very early that, hey, mentality, toughness um, was a huge component. And that kind of carried on. College, uh, where I had more responsibility as a leader and a a better player on a team. I think that's also a different experience. Um, but I, I think I really started um, once I knew I was going to be a coach in college. That's what I wanted to try and do. Then I think that's where it began for me um, with the background, a little bit of the playing experience I had. I think uh, you know the first thing I did was got a GA job, and I, I coached at Missouri Baptist under Juan Pablo Favaro who's from Argentina, and he's now head women's coach at Oakland. Hmm. um i learned a lot like he's very charismatic very good psychology uh very attack oriented on his mindset with movements obviously growing up in argentina had some good thoughts there
2: right
1: um as odd as it sounds he actually put me in charge of defense um you know and i was working a lot with the back four we played a three five two so i worked a lot with the three five two um but you know that was a good experience and then what i did was uh I'd leave there, and we did men and women, so I'd have a training, you know, two trainings back-to-back there, and then I'd leave, drive 30 minutes back home, and then i coach club for Metro uh, United, which is Scott Gallagher, Illinois, now. Okay. And, I worked, and th- this is probably, uh, I think, these these three guys, Juan Pablo Favaro, Dave Fernandez, Dave Shirley, really, those guys really got me going in the right direction. Dave Fernandez is a legend in our area um would probably be if he grew up in this era, probably would have played pro for ten years, been a more national name. Mm. Um just that skillful. Dale was just the guy that uh ran the club that was very open and um, you know and I, I think what people have to learn is like when I went there, even though I was coaching college, they're like, Hey, we're not gonna give you one of our best teams I'm like, I'm not here to coach one of your best teams, I'm here to to learn and develop just mm-hmm. I'll take whatever team you want right. so they gave me the eight, the U18B team which is they've struggled to keep together and they have to keep putting kids in and out of it well I took that team to like second or third round of states mm-hmm. you know and kept them all together they all loved it and those guys were amazed so so what'd you do with that team
0: while while you're on that while you're on that uh topic what what uh do you do with that team that was different than maybe the other coach wasn't doing or what did you implement that got them excited
1: well i think you know when you you a kid that's on a b team you already feel like nobody pays attention to you
3: Mm -hmm.
1: you know so the first thing i was like hey guys look some of you are good players the a team's pretty good you guys are missing some things mindset wise we got to work on your mentality a little bit and we got to come together. And if we can do that, then I think you guys can showcase a little bit more what you're doing and then put a lot of effort in. So, Hey, be at training, make them be a training because mm-hmm. they're probably, the coaches just thinking, oh, this is a blow off team. And then the kids kind of blow it off. Right. So I immediately I think demanded a little bit more of, Hey, this is serious. Let's get after it. And those guys liked it. And then they just kind of grew and, came together and, and played very well, uh, for, for that level. Um, and the kids obviously enjoyed the, the relationship we had I was a younger, you know, I was twenty twenty one, twenty two, 21, 22. So mm-hmm. I could really relate with them. I think they sure. liked that. So I think, uh, you know, for, for that, it was good. And, because um, when you're a director it was a small club so the, the Dave and Dale had to take the A teams and had to put a lot of effort in them those were the guys that were going to grow the club or help the team advance and right. do better so yeah in some respects they couldn't give the attention to a B team especially A team B team as much as they would like and I think I really helped and showed them a lot um, so what they did then was invite me to tournaments when the A team left and said hey you can why don't you just be an assistant with the A teams on U sixteen, U eighteen and that? And for me, now I have I can go to work in the morning, learn from an Argentina guy with great personality, psychology, train with two teams a lot of a lot of hours, and come back train with two teams but with guys that have been a licensed guys coaching forever and sure. I think I, I think I actually them. I'm sure now, I I haven't talked to him about it, but I'm sure when I wasn't around, they're like, man, you're going to take Jared with you. He just asked so many questions.
0: Get Jared out of here.
1: Yeah. So I'd go on a tournament with him, and here we are. We'd play a game. We'd go have a couple beers, and then I'd pelt him with, why do you think that was important? What were you thinking here? Why were we doing this? Right and then I'd give back my opinion. You know, I think it's always important to just share what you think. Cause then sure. they can
3: Evaluation.
2: say, yeah,
1: i see what you think. And I thought that at one time, but then this happened. Right. And you pay, now can multiply your experience through other guys. And the trust kind of grew. So I worked with them for four or five years. And, um, you know, I think after, what was it? After my third year at MoBad, they gave me the head men's job.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh you know, so now I'm taking that team, and now you get to develop your own ideas. And, um, you know, I think that's important. You kind of do trial and error. Like, you know, I'll you ask myself questions like, all right, why would I want to kick a ball along from the back?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if I can't always control where where it's going to go, right. how it's going to end up, are yep. we just not better at trying to plan a uh, an attack from the back that everybody knows what we're looking for, one, two, three options? and then you try to go and watch games and research and ask more questions and a guy that really ended up helping uh dale and dave brought in this guy andy mcdermott arsenal youth coach okay so at that time they had a couple connections there and they'd bring him over in the summer and he'd stay for like a month and uh you know i got along with him and he coached the older teams and he's like hey why don't you jump in and play best way to learn yeah so he'd train, do this, so I jump in with the, the younger guys, and the older high school teams and play, and then kind of feel and see what he was saying, and that really helped a lot. We did a lot of stuff, uh, you know, third man running stuff, a lot of, you know, one touch, uh, three balls type things you're looking for, eyesight, uh, body shape, uh, how right. to lose a marker, you know, and he did stuff a little bit differently than I've seen, and uh, so combine. That, those kind of four or five years I really got off on the right foot on identifying a style I wanted to play um, and that kind of got me to Akron is you know off the backs of Dale, Dave and uh, these guys uh, recommended me to work at camp mm-hmm. to to Coach Gagley at the time and I ran into Caleb because he was my coordinator and I think my first impression was a good one I uh, tore my knee before I went I had <laughs> Surgery. Uh, I had surgery. Uh, I think like two, three weeks before you camp, and I called Coach Hagley. He's like, "Look, I'm sorry, I tore my knee. I had to have surgery." He's like, "Oh, no big deal. We'd we'll love to have you another time." I was like, "Coach, I ain't backing out. I'm just telling you, I'm gonna have to be on crutches, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna coach on crutches." You're right. It's like, well, we have we have some distances you have to cover here, like walking to and from places. I'm like don't make it combinations. I'll get every place I need to be on time, This, I appreciate this opportunity, mm-hmm. um, so I was coaching a knee brace and crutches with Caleb's division and um, I tried to teach a camp team a flat back four in a week and Caleb kind of laughed at me, he's like it's camp, you're going to teach them flat back four, I'm like, well it's e- easy and why would you not play it, it's the best way, uh-huh. so I did that. I did that and won the week, and then I think that kind of like Caleb's like, "Oh, that guy's a little maybe arrogant to mm-hmm. do that." Right. And then we just kind of caught off conversations, and then I started that kind of relationship, which three, or four years, um, you know, got me to Akron. And I think I think the lesson there for people is like, look, I didn't when I went in coach club, I didn't talk salary one one minute. I just, I didn't even ask if they had to pay me. I wasn't making six grand. Sure. I I needed a lot of money, yeah. but I was like, look, I just need an opportunity, and I want to learn, and that, and then you guys pay me as you see fit, and that's it. I was like, I I just got to coach, and I got to learn, and I got to, it's where I put on all my weight, because then you're going from like, you know, 8 a.m., I drive 35 minutes to school, to work, and then you're recruiting, analyzing videos, talking, and then you have two trainings. And then, if I didn't get to play in trainings, that was my only exercise. Yeah. And then uh, I'd go straight to clubs. So, the easiest thing to do for a young kid who doesn't want to get up and make his lunch is go buy McDonald's. Yeah. You know, and then anytime he had free time, I I obviously, uh, you know, didn't treat my body the best with my friends. So, yeah, that started the the downfall of of a little bit of my health. Your playing days. Yeah. So, You know, I, I think you just, you know, I have a lot of coaches like, well, I could go work there, but they ain't gonna pay me enough. I'm like, well, are you coaching for the money? Or are you coaching to get better? If you're yeah. coaching to get better, then the money's irrelevant, make it work. Mm-hmm. You need the experience, and I tell my assistants this, that I'm through, I'm like, you know, if this is where you wanna go, the only way you can do it is coach. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's very Time difficult. Time on the field, you know? yeah. dealing with people, yeah, dealing with parents, how you handle situations—it's very unique because it's there's not really, you know, one year is not the same as the next. You know, every year, some station. years you have high expectations and you you suffer. Other years you have low expectations and you you know uh, overachieve. You know, but you're just trying to figure out your identity as a coach, your style, and once you have that, then then you can continue to try and fine tune your weaknesses.
0: You know, go you, from
2: there
1: yeah people, but yeah when I got here to Caleb the one thing I really liked about Caleb is he's really demanding you know it was like uh you, you know you had to have your a game every day working for him um so that really forced me to make sure the information I was given was correct and on top of it the sessions were were good um and he gave me in charge of the offense. So now I got to really take all my ideas and then I got to work with high level players, probably the highest level players that I worked to at that point, sure. outside of maybe one or two guys. And then that, that was really fun because then you can do a lot of things uh why'd he give you
0: so uh, let me make let me make a couple of notes before you transition there so uh just to make the note iu is indiana university so when you mention those camps people are probably like what's iu camp it's indiana university um and for those of you that that don't know jared um he's not the one to do sharks and minnows at camp he will teach you how to rotate a midfield three or like he said uh work on a back four or whatever runs out of the midfield he's not going to waste time playing uh like I said sharks and minnows um so um yeah. wh- why did he give you the the offense then when you got to Akron was that by uh discussion or was that from something that he saw in what you did in a training session why did you uh get that part of the the team
1: you know I don't I don't know what he got from other teams but my teams at mob always played reasonably well and attractive soccer so i think that was in the back of his mind but i think mostly because he felt really confident coaching defense mm-hmm. back four you know when IU when he played it was a lot of pressure um a lot of focus on defending being tough to get beat i think he felt really comfortable in those principles and coaching a back four and you know, from a mentality standpoint and a tactical standpoint, I think he wanted someone that maybe has different ideas and, and that in and the attack. And, you know, that's kind of what I brought. It was a, actually really good balance of coaches. Like his intensity and mentality was great for me. And I think my, my calmness and uh, quiet confidence, I think, you know, helped him as well in terms of um, just balancing out. his his intensity with the group i think it was a pretty good combo um but yeah it it was really demanding and you know but yeah it gave me a lot of freedom and as long as i was doing things well he he just left me alone Mm -hmm. and uh you know i really appreciative that allowed me to do some different things and allowed us to build kind of a unique team and program that i think uh has done things differently throughout college soccer since right um you know so obviously he's key in my development because uh it's a lot of good things he he does in terms of of working under that you know it can be difficult but i think you know when you really look at it it's it's a great experience and and something that sometimes i i wonder if i should do more with my assistants, be a little a little more demanding and harder at times mm-hmm. um away from the field on what what has to get done um But, yeah, those guys, and then I think, you know, we made a decision, like, when I was with Caleb, we are like, look, what we want to do, I'm not sure if we're going to go to the, you know, A, B, or C license of U.S. soccer, we're going to get that, I think they're going to evaluate us, give us some of their knowledge, which is great, we'll pick up something, but we want to play something different, you know, we want to be, you know, playing the best college soccer in college, you know. So we decided to uh, just start taking European trips.
0: I'm excited you're gonna jump into this because I feel like this is a big piece of your knowledge of the game. um, Because coaches that I've come across really don't talk about the things that you did. um, And coaching courses and seminars only talk about so much. So how did you choose these clubs um, and get these opportunities? Sorry for jumping in there.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, we went to teams that we said, hey, who who plays well over there and how can we get access? Obviously, we went to Barcelona first, and you don't get access to the first team, but you may get a youth coach, and they talk you through how they do things and why. And watching their trainings, though, is important with the way we wanted to play. So I thought that was a really good start. Um, You know, and then we just started to pick teams like this or anything – you know, went to Leverkusen under Roger Smith. Watch his pressing, and you know, you pick up a lot. You know, and if you get a chance to sit down with a staff member, all the better, and you can just pelt them with questions, like I did to Dave and Dale back in the day, and pick up stuff. And they could tell you where to watch things when you when you go to games. And then when you watch the games, you're you, you're focused on everything. What's
0: know, their what's their reception is. of those questions uh, when you're when you're Battering them with questions and questions, and it's like, who's this guy? What's their yeah. what's their reaction to it?
1: Yeah, I think when they first start in the conversation, they're like, oh, here we are, another you know naive Americans. And then I think as you get into it, and you ask them good quality questions. They're like, okay, these guys aren't all right. You know, I'm going to have to actually give good information and talk to them, or else I'm going to look silly. Right? These guys know what they're talking about,
3: and
2: mm-hmm.
1: then you can get into some good stuff. Um, you know, the one trip that always stands out. We actually went back twice. Was uh, we went to Babao when
2: mm-hmm. Bielsa
1: was there, because Babao, was uh, open trainings. He couldn't close them, so we could go there with even with our phones and train sessions, film it,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: watch activities, and what I've seen from him was completely different to what anybody else has done that I've seen. And if you've seen some of his videos, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's uh, almost like American football. He would have a the attackers on one field working right. on the coach defenders on the other um you know some days they would never never cross paths they'd
3: mm-hmm. just stay
1: and work on an hour whether it be functional it'd be crossing finishing uh movements just rehearsal of movements 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 at right. pace at intensity with no defenders no nothing he'd have sticks marked out he'd have markers um then they would rehearse something as an 11. And then if they did any, they would call possession, you know, 11 versus zero, mm-hmm. just patterns. They call that possession practice. And um, when they wanted to work on game stuff, they scrimmage.
0: Right. Well, yeah, I, I, scrimmage. I've i spoken to Jack about this, who's, who's at Leeds, right, and Bielsa's at Leeds now. Oh. Um, and he's yeah. like, they'll, they'd go training sessions without touching a ball, and they'd just rehearse runs and movements um, and you know there'd be times uh, that they touch a ball maybe three, four times in training session because the focus is the movement and running off the ball. And yeah. then you know you see that when those those games are played. If you can also touch on too, because Athletic Bilbao and the Bilbao region in Spain is one of the most fascinating parts of the world when it comes to soccer yeah. um, in terms of who they're able to recruit and sign to their team. Um, okay. Can you talk about that in in detail a little bit for the listeners?
1: Yeah, it's a good one because this goes into the youth that we may talk about. Like, yeah. Uh, so when we went from Barcelona to Baba, like Barcelona, hey, we have this identity, we have this style. Our youth are going to play this from, you know, six years old all the way till the first team. Sure. Same way, same session, progress, progress. Well, you get to Babao, they're like, well, that's great. We can't do that. We can only get players within uh, the Bobao region, which is three to five hours
2: circled.
1: Um, And we can't go by the best 14-year-old to make sure we execute that system
2: Mm
3: -hmm.
1: year in and year out. We have to develop a player that's more balanced because the reality of our situation at the, the level is when we choose a new coach, he may choose to play differently than the previous coach. Right. So we're not gonna change the use system Every two, three years, based on who's in charge, we're gonna to try to develop a well-rounded player that if a coach wants to play, we have players in our system that can play and do it as he want. If he wants a more direct physical style, we're gonna develop players that are very good at that. We're gonna develop all that. And they have to do it that way because they gotta make the most of what they got. You know, They can't always go out and buy people that fill holes. They gotta develop people. So their youth level trainings were very fun to watch. Um, you know, I enjoyed that. We used some of those drills uh, that I seen from that day. And I, I like that philosophy. If I was ever, you know, going to move on to the next level, you know, if I was going to run the club, that would be my first set of advice, unless the club's going to have a clear identity that they want to have every time. And then you can build it kind of like the Ripples Bulls had done. Right. Then you can build it towards that, uh, you know, but like, you know, Columbus, you know, with Burhalter and Tequila, there's going to be tweaks. You know, at least both those coaches like to play to some extent.
2: But mm-hmm.
1: or you could take the Galaxy. I mean, what do you do with the Galaxy youth? You know, they'll have a wide range of coaches that
2: coached sure. there. Yep.
1: You know, that type of thing. Um, so I, I think uh, this model would be one that I would focus on as a club director. Um you know, if if the owner didn't come to me that say, "Hey, I want you to introduce a clear identity throughout the club," mm-hmm. this would be how it go.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I think it's 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 a very important to have that identity. Um, and yeah I know you wouldn't be taking a, a job that if uh, you know for example you bring up Red Bull where the owner and the ownership group has a specific style of play and then you need to learn and implement that style you and I would probably be going to a place where somebody that's hiring you trust you to implement a certain philosophy and identity and then take it on from there and have a consistent you know, throughout the the ranks from whatever, the U12s through U16s, 18s to the first team. So, um, yeah, yeah, the Basque region uh, in Spain to have to focus on just the players in, like you said, what is that, that three to four hour radius um, and not be able to go out and and search for, um, you know, Let's call it a, an American player. They can't get an American player. They can't go get uh, an African player. If the player is not in that region, then um, he's off limits. So um, what other experiences in, in, uh, in Europe or throughout the world shaped you tactically um, to where you are now?
2: Yeah,
1: I think, you know, watching games. So, you know, I would uh, sit here and say, I like to play this, and then as you're reading teams and following leagues, you start to hear buzz about certain teams and what they're doing. And I say, look, does that fit my philosophy, my identity or what I want in a certain phase of the game? And then I, then I go into study mode, Mm -hmm. watch them every week, read all the articles. Um, you know, if you got a chance to talk to someone about how they do it, you do it. If not, you continue to, you know, find ways to, to learn what they're doing and why, Right. why are they doing it what's the purpose and then can you bring that into your team you know if it's if it's the whole philosophy then, then you try to bring a lot of that in if it's just a certain phase like pressing or build ups then you try to bring in some of their build up ideas and integrate it into what you're doing currently and continue to try and evolve and stay up on top of the game because uh you know it can be very difficult you got to kind of continue to tweak and at the college level you may not even though you're recruiting the players, you're still basing them off a small evaluation sure. of you know a couple games. So maybe when you get them, they maybe can't execute year one, year two, exactly how you want to perform the team. So you got to kind of tweak it to fit the best players and their strengths and bring it together. So you need a little bit of a base of different ways to do things. But yet when people watch, they still see your identity, still see what you want to do, uh, your style of play. I think that's been one of my strengths
2: as a coach. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, now the consistency and just being able to identify it on a week to week basis or game to game basis, where there's a lot of coaches that, um, you know change week to week and change their game plan based on opponent instead of sticking to you know their their style where if you try and go in these different directions and try to you know counter what the other team is doing you can do that to an extent right but you want to know and do what you know right you don't want to go off and try and make something up that maybe you're not that familiar with and then things Things go to shit right after that if you're trying to right. make things up uh, as you go and try to learn things too quickly. You got to go with what you're you're familiar with and how um, how you can have that consistent style of play um, and trust it and go for it on a on a game to game week to week basis. Um, yeah, I agree. So. What uh, What else college-wise? Um, I'm trying to think of the, the transition here. I know there's a lot we want to talk about, and I think um, since it's pretty recent with the Development Academy, I know a lot of people are worked up about that and what to do and what's the next step for US soccer. Um, and you, you touch on scouting, um, which I think is a big piece of that for, for the Development Academy and for players and their concerns. Um, What from a U.S. soccer standpoint, college standpoint, because that's still going to be a massive market and that's where a majority of U.S. players go is to the college game. What in terms of scouting in particular do we need to be better with? I've had this conversation with a few players uh, and people and ODP is something that I'm familiar with that I grew up with. Um, that went away with the development academy because now in those development academy games or in those development academy games, I should say now, they had scouts at those games. Um, And those national team scouts, along with the college coaches that would show up to showcases and other games in their region would evaluate the players. But with ODP, they were able to focus on one specific group. So, for example, New Jersey, state by state, right? Ohio would have their state team. And the coaches would get to evaluate those players on a week to week, month to month basis to see development and then do what was that? I think it was like semi-annual or or biannual, right, where they would do two tryouts um, a year to evaluate players and then bring new players in, move players out that weren't up to par and then move up to um the regional team right where they would have region one with new york new jersey uh eastern pennsylvania um and and delaware connecticut and they'd pick the top kids from those state teams to then play on the regional team and then grow it from there do you think implementing something like that where it's more state and regional based because there are so many players playing now where you had the da and they were looking at such a vast amount of players that maybe players got lost and got lost in the mix because there were so many that needed to be evaluated rather than looking just at a smaller state basis rather than national basis to pick the national team. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think that's on the right track. I think when you talk about scouting, the the difficulty starts with, uh, well, what team you scouting for, Mm -hmm. how do you play, sure and then where do you go find players that can fit your style of play and if you're just going to talk about hey i need to find a talented player well a talented player in one system may be a less talented player in another i think that's a difficult question to ask the the advantage i think of the odp stuff was was a little more competition based Mm -hmm. you know for the players you had to be a little bit more competitive i think to get through that system but i like it because you identify more players, and you can look at more players. You can bring them in and work with them in a different way, and say, you know what, I think he's a good fit for this system or this coach or that. You know, because a lot of our players, we get our guys that say they fit Akron as mm-hmm. an Akron player, and we get recommendations. I, I think, I think regionalizing it is 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 the first step. You know, back then they also MLS wasn't as strong scouting wise, mm-hmm. so I think they got taken the count. I would, I would regionalize the leagues. So you have all these leagues, similar like the Development Academy did. Sure. Um, You know, you you break that down. Maybe you have two, three tiers of it, you know, where teams can move up if they have a quality team that's maybe not necessarily a DA club all the time. But maybe you started a team because you had good relationships with an age group Mm -hmm. and you could progress them through and put them there. I think that stuff's fine. Then, uh, so you have your regional kind of of the leagues with with MLS teams and USL teams in these leagues with non-DA clubs per se and uh, that will help with travel costs. Yeah. So, I don't think you want this to be hugely expensive for every player like it currently can be if you're not in the right situation. Um, At the MLS level with this, you get rid of the homegrown territories and you have a scouting network that you develop within your club that goes and identifies players and then I would like to see you know maybe two regional tournaments whether you want to make these regional tournaments uh club based where they come and play um you know in their cup type setting knockout type setting. so you see pressure games um you know in a spring and a summer setting this is where the mls teams can come and then identify more players like you can send a scout to each region Mm -hmm. now could you do that with hey all right we're going to take the top you know 60 players from this region and we're going to split them up into four different teams and play mm-hmm. games possibly or pl- play against each other but I'd like to see that and then I'd like to see like a National Youth Cup so if I'm playing here in Cleveland with the Internationals I'm going to be playing the same teams we've been playing Soccers Vardar Columbus Crew right. maybe Louisville gets added they're all within five six hours mm-hmm. right, then I'll have a regional tournament where we can if our season ain't going well maybe Maybe these regional tournaments, I'm allowed to bring in other clubs, teams, players that are in the area that just want to kind of see what the experience is like, Um, you know, or you have these tiers. Um, Do it like that. And then you also have a youth cup. So if, you know, you play knockout games. So maybe the first round, you know, like they do with the U.S. Open Cup, kind of stays regional for a couple rounds. And then maybe if you do well, all right, now we're going to go play you know, FC Dallas in sure. the fourth round and have a one, one-off knockout game where you kind of see it different. You give them that national experience. Um, you know, and I think that way you have it regionalized, cuts down the cost. For the MLS teams, They they can still have good games, maybe not all the games they want, but they can scout their region pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the regional tournaments where all the MLS scouts can go and find the players and really evaluate hard and 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 you know kind of how they do the GA Cup, sure. You know, where they break it out in regions and then
2: so you kind of have that
1: and then yeah you the youth cup where it's just a fun knockout thing like the FA Cup is that we've all enjoyed to watch. Every yeah. team can get in it. Doesn't matter if they're in the league or not, right? You just yeah. start like a, almost kind of like the old school with the state cup and all that. you work away at nationals but it's all one one and done so you have that type of pressure on you Um, you know and that allows MLS teams I think to scout and then the MLS teams they can continue to bring players in get rid of homegrown territories find people that fit their system and style bring them in if the kids want to come in great if they don't that's fine if they want to make a deal to them they can just like the rest of the world but if MLS teams say hey I need better competition well you know what you're going to have a roster of 24 kids well guess what you're going to pull your best 18 you're going to go play in a tournament in Benfica. or you're going to go down to Mexico play a couple games you go get the games you need to get and you don't have any restrictions to get in those games for you to win the league or not win the league it's maybe not the end of the world but you have both so if you want to spend more money
3: mm-hmm. and get
1: the better games you spend more money and get the better games if you're an MLS team that's like hey we buy our players for the first team we're not a homegrown type hey we're not going to develop it we don't want to spend the money then the costs are a little bit more relative and they don't have to waste some of those resources they can put them in the first team whether the fans want to develop homegrown that's that's the pressure of that situation that they can change but that identity of the club that can do it so fc dallas obviously who's who's focused on youth well look they can say, yeah, we got a regional league, so we can play balanced amount of matches to get guys experience. But, hey, our best guys, you guys are going on three or four tournaments a year. Mm-hmm. We're going to take the big ones in Europe, play Benfica, Arsenal, sure. Man City, whoever you want. We're going to go to Mexico, play the best youth there. Maybe we go to Scandinavia, take out that. Maybe whatever you put together, maybe we go to South America and test ourselves against you know, Flamingo and all those,
3: Fluminese. Of course, yeah.
1: You, you do that and then you put together the program because, because those guys are going to benefit you directly. Everybody else can still find their way through. If I'm a player from Cleveland and the best system to fit me is LAFC and they want me by all means, if they're willing to house me, I can go. Mm-hmm. I can make that decision. God, I'm going to stay here. The cost colleges are then, you know what? You, you look at where you can go get players still and the regional kind of settings tournaments will allow us to evaluate more players with less resources you know we can go to one event over three four days watch whatever games we can watch kind of like we do with the spring and summer so- showcase um, you know we can have events like that but we have to split up uh-huh. you know yeah. and then you can get a little bit more regionalized you, you can now see other teams and then I think you still, you know, you win your league, you go on to the finals. You don't win your league, you don't go in the finals. You don't have to have 32 teams in the playoffs. You know, and that puts a little bit more pressure in every game in the yeah. in the regional leagues. So that that's kind of where I would start the brainstorming, you know, and fine tuning. In my opinion, I think that can cut down some costs for the general player, which is obviously a concern. What everybody wants is the pay to play model. Well, you know, we don't make money off selling players, to the majority of clubs, especially mm-hmm. the NDA clubs. Right. It's not like every club has resources to build their own facility where 10 teams can train. So, renting of facilities is an actual cost. Paying of coaches is an actual cost that, you know, unfortunately have to occur to players traveling to play games. So,
2: Referees. right now, you know,
1: the Development <laughs> Academy Cleveland teams are going to Texas, you know, two, three times a year. Right. Does that really make sense? It's great gains, but it's a lot of expense, mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, that's added on to other expenses because facilities uh, around here, you know, aren't growing in numbers and aren't always well-maintained, the ones that do have it. So, you know, you can't – right now we can't have it all until we develop a better way of supplementing income for people um, at this level. But you can still, I think, put more competition-based – progression path you know add a little bit of that old school that developed a little bit better I think a competitive mentality than what we have in this DA cup I think the DA when it ended it started to become pretty soft
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah and I think that you know kind of cookie cutter where you go watch a game and coaches got excited when there was a hard tackle let down more than a goal Mm -hmm. because at least you wanted to see some intensity and I think the regionalization and you, you know, you don't reward a lot of teams again the playoffs, you just reward the best. And then you have, you know, all those games that matter, you'll develop some rivalries. The the cup competitions give you the one-off of intensities, so you can go see players, hey, you can't lose this game, you're out. You go yeah. home, you know, show up, show up, see what you got. That, mm-hmm. that automatically puts intensity rather than friendlies for these regional showcases that we have now. I'd like to see something along those lines, which is very similar to the regional ODP. You know, whether you want the regionalized tournaments, you know, the two or three you want to do a year with, you know, inviting the best guys and and putting them on a team, you know, you know, making four regional teams out of your regional pool, and then selecting the best of those to go on to a national ODP type setting is fine problem with that player selection is it's still going to be based on the coach's idea of how he wants to play the game. Sure. Um, so you're always going to have players that are left behind that are very good that maybe in 10 years people are going to look, how did he not make the ODP team? Well, simple. Maybe he didn't fit the way the coach wanted to play at that time. necessarily against his talent level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd like to see that. I think our, our challenge more than Europe is our just – and geography, um, you know, how much time it takes to get from one side of the country to the other. Sure. I think those are challenges that you can't do an MLS-only league. It'd be too expensive.
0: Or if they want to do At that, then they can incur those exp- expenses, right? If they want to do an a MLS league, then that's on them. If they have the finances to do it, go for it.
1: Yeah, you just got to wonder, though, if you're not promoting players, you know, um, that's probably going to cost you several million.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: If you do that for five years, it's ten million dollars. Sure. You know, and if you haven't gotten a player for that, are you only gotten a player that's a role player? Then are you viewing that player worth ten million? Mm-hmm. When you could probably go out, use that ten million to get you, you know, DP, maybe a guy that helps you win the league. I think those are the discussions I'd be having at the MLS level. You know, like with the owners, like, hey, what's our identity? Are we developing? Are we buying? well, if we're buying, then let's not do stupid things at the youth level that cost us operating expenses at the first team level. Sure. You know, let's give kids a good experience, professional experience, regionalized, do our best in the region to identify the best players and bring them on board, but not go overboard and, and potentially not allow me to get a Diego Valeri from Argentina if he pops up, because mm-hmm. our budget isn't there, right? Yeah. That, that would be yeah. conversations that I'd be having. Um, and those, those are things where I think the best clubs, most consistent clubs, are ones with clear identities from the top down. How they want to run youth, how they want to run the first team. Is there a style of play that they want to implement? You know, doesn't have to be on the business side. You can you can still run it pretty well and, and change coaches, but you have a clear identity how you're bringing players into the club. Um, you know, I think those are the keys for every team, whether you're talking playing playing style or college rec this or that you know if you're not sure how you're always going to play then it's very hard to identify players it's easier to have a certain style and identity so you know what i got to tweak it a little bit this year maybe we're not going 100 percent all hardcore you know you know whatever it used to be a thousand passes of death or whatever mm-hmm. maybe now it's all right we're going to do 700 play a little more speed because this team it fits that but it's still going to be under the same umbrella style, you could still tweak it because you brought the players in to kind of complement what you're doing, anyways. You know,
0: well, there's a lot that we just talked about that you talked about that you know I want to dissect a little bit more. First and foremost, I think teams need to have an identity, which a lot don't. Uh, you bring up Akron, that specific style of player, um, and I don't know if other schools, other clubs have that. On a consistent basis where like you said they're just looking for the top talent and then they work um, you know around that or try to fit them into a certain system Um, so having that club identity first and foremost is probably the most important piece for scouting um, and then it sounds like based on what you talked about, um, as well as that competitiveness, which I think was lost with the DA and it became more uh, of an entitlement where, okay, I'm in the DA, I'm gonna play uh, you know, my game on the weekend and you know, if things go well, great, if not, I got next week um, because I know I have you know, 16 or whatever, 18 league games along with the showcases, I'll get seen because I'm in the DA um, and I'll be okay. And there was that lost competition factor, and and as we brought up earlier, mentality. I don't know if the mentality was there because it was so cookie cutter, where it was like, okay, every team in the DA needs to build out from the back. They're going to play a back four. You know, for the the most part, we're going to play short passes out of the back, where they may not have the players to play short passes out of the back or have an understanding of how to play out of the back. Right. Um, and then, and then, uh, yeah, with this other piece of this, with the regionally and, and scouting, I know we're, we're all over the place, but with the national team and the residency program, the national team picked out 50 players, right, from the whole country, 40 players, when I think we should be doing 50 players each state per age group and evaluate from there. And then regionally, you can have the top 50 players uh, in the region and handpick them from each state, because there are late bloomers, and not all the players are going to be able to go to MLS clubs. But there are going to be, uh, you know, times in their career where they may develop to get to an MLS team, and maybe for a year or two they're a fit. Maybe they progress all the way through from whatever U14, and they sign with the first team. But the majority of players, not all players, can play mls right not all players or mls academies not all players are going to play pro but their majority of the players need that platform to go to college and be looked at for that because that's where a majority of the youth players in this country if they you know progress from 14 16 18 the next step for most of them is college if they've played that long so um you know to tie it all together first Clubs, I think, like you said, have to have the identity like Red Bull and then they choose the players from there. Some players are fit regionally and or uh, or in their territory and they can, you know, select those players if they if they want to. But if they're not a fit, then they should have the freedom to go and and seek out other opportunities. Maybe there's a player in New Jersey um, that is a better fit for LAFC and LAFC wants, you know, to pick them up and they shouldn't be tied and restricted to, you know, uh, Red Bull. Um, if, if they're not going to fit their high press, you know, high energy style of play, a lot of players may, may be in that area, don't fit that, but don't tie them and restrict them and hold them from going to, to other places. Um, but yeah, the the competition piece of it, I think, would make everything, um, you know, better. That 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 I think was lost over the, whatever that 13-15 year period that the DA um, was around, where it just became so um, almost monotonous and, and like you said, cookie cutter where everything was the same people were getting worked up about tackles when that's what we needed to that's what we need to qualify for for world cups and get out of CONCACAF and and have that grittiness and and that was lost a little bit and to bring back competitions where if you're not competing and you know have that savviness to to close out a game in a a a cup competition a knockout competition then you know yeah you got to go home and you got to think about and evaluate what you did and come back um, and compete harder the next time. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't right,
1: think right, I agree. I think
0: I don't think that we're going to uh, to lose that much from the DA. I think people are going to adjust, and I think we're going to come back and and compete harder. And we're going to you know think about like I said the scouting piece of it too, and and how we can evaluate players. Um, in a more regional state setting, rather than you know focus on just the, a national pool of players, focus on your area first for both teams and players. I think, like you said, teams are flying to to Dallas three times a year and they're from New Jersey, but they haven't even played you know all the teams in their region and know if they're even good enough to be flying to Texas, uh, you know, for that national event. Just own your territory first, and then. And then go from there is is also one of my biggest thoughts.
1: Right, right. I, I agree. You look at the uh, old days. You know, I think I think one of the problems is uh, there's no consequences in the DA.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You
1: know, if you were playing in the old days, it was state cup. Right. So if you didn't win state cup, you may lose half your team to the team that won day cup. Yeah. State cup, right? And that player movement forced the coaches to be on their best. Force the players to do well. Then you go to regional, and you had to progress through there in a tournament format. Mm-hmm. And and same thing, I think that competitiveness of, of that kind of setup was a positive. You know, the the problem with the DA, there isn't. You can finish eighth place, not make playoffs, but there's no consequences. You're not going to a worse league. So once you know you're out of the playoffs, the games become friendlies. You're not maybe you lose one player to an MLS team, but you're not the next closest club in the DA is three hours away, you're probably not losing that kid, you know? So I think those type of consequences hurt the league. Um, and I also think just, you know, one of U.S. soccer's problems overall is it's just exclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, we started out, it's, begins exclusive because of the cost. So it's not always easy for everybody to play at a high level because they can't afford it. Um, then it's exclusive because they went to residency. So, you have a country of 325 million, and you're going to choose 50 players for U-17 mm-hmm. and exclude people at that age. That, that to me, was a little bit of a problem. They tried to fix that. Now, they're trying to do that with the club, but it's still – it's how many MLS teams are there for all these teams? They, they can't cover it all, and they don't have enough spots to do it all. Normally, they want to do it all, so I agree with you. we got to find a way to continue to – progress all players best we
3: can let's even, let's even, sorry uh, let's
0: run let's run like rough numbers here right so I said okay. the the residency program was identifying 50 players at U17 where you know they see them a couple times right MLS teams there's now 26 26 teams, something like that in the league, right? 24? Yeah. 26, whatever. Let's call it 25 yeah. teams in the league. Um, and there are two age groups, two main age groups per academy, right? So you got about 20 kids, 25 yeah. kids on, on each of those rosters for the, the 17s and 19s. Um, so multiply that by by two and then by 25. Um, for for all the players that will make up MLS academies, right? Those are just rough numbers. And then you have this massive pool of players outside of that, right? That are still developing, that maybe the timing isn't right for an MLS academy, but maybe they're 17 and they're playing for. I'm going to use PDA because they do a really good job of of developing players, and there are players that then move to Red Bull at you know 19 because they've had that extra year of maturity, and now maybe they're a better fit. They've 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 developed a piece of their game that that fits Red Bull system, and they make the move to to Red Bull at, at 19. But there are still so many players out there that need a platform to continue to develop and to be evaluated and to be pushed along where MLS can't do it exclusively, nor should we look for them to do it exclusively. So they can they can take the top 20 players, but there are still a lot of very good players that either may not get identified by Red Bull or may not be a fit by Red Bull and I bring up Red Bull because I'm familiar with the the New Jersey area there are a lot of players playing in New Jersey maybe it's different for Real Salt Lake who's a little bit more um, uh, don't have access to as many players um, and there's less teams and less competition um, who they may have the best 20-25 players per age group in the state um, but Red Bull can't take a roster of a hundred for their U17 team, and there are even more than a hundred players in U17 age group that are that are really, really good and talented, and and need a platform to to perform and continue to develop. So,
1: yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think this is where you know MLS USL should really work with the college system mm-hmm. because ultimately, the longer we can keep players playing. The more chances you can turn around, the one player. Will that one player be a difference? Well, yeah. We've learned throughout history, one player is a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, could he come through the college system? I don't know. Clint Dempsey has. Um, you look at his path, his story. It was very unconventional. Um, you know, basically, he went to Furman. If he didn't go there, then maybe he would have never been seen for a couple more years. Sure. His culture really pushed him. So, you know, I'm on the belief of look if we can keep players playing until 25, 26, 27, as many as we can, especially many decent to, to good players, the more chances we have to, to build the best national team.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: with our size, we're gonna need MLS academies, we're gonna need MLS teams, we're gonna need USL teams. We really should have a USL one team that continues to grow. We need all these development places. You need college, because it's so big.
3: And, and that's one the of the biggest kind of
1: yeah and why would you why would you want to create a situation where you have less people playing it makes makes no sense so when they criticize college yeah they're criticizing us because we're not producing Lionel Messi. but Lionel Messi shouldn't be coming to college
3: mm-hmm.
1: right but and they're one and they're one in a million it. yeah it's it's keep guys playing yeah keep them playing and put them in environments because you know what there's social factors that don't do a kid developing you know with his background maturity factors physical factors if you watch the last dance right scotty pippen 6-1 when he went into college 6-8 when he left
3: mm-hmm.
1: right he would not have made it if there wasn't a way to continue to play right
3: uh-huh.
2: and
1: i think we just kind of exclude players early in the process and that hurts us when it comes back to it we've we tried to find more ways. I think the MLS has helped. Now can we continue to build on this? And then ultimately if I was in charge of real soccer, I'd be like, look, we need college to be strong, Yeah. right? What's wrong with the kid choosing to go? If you guys want them, then offer them the money to not go to college. Right. Simple as that. Don't criticize college so you can get a guy cheap. Mm-hmm. That's what we do here is like, all right, well, why would you go there? You can't make it as a pro. Well, there's, that's not been proven right that's not been proven over history it's getting more like that but are these kids walking into situations where you know when you look at their situation long term is that best form, i don't know we should be in a situation no i don't want you to go to college this deal's going to prove it okay fair enough go play pro sure we'd all say that like like dean smith said to michael jordan right we're not there. Some of these kids are leaving for for fifteen hundred a month.
0: Crazy. That's this oh. is the craziest part of it, which I still can't, maybe you can clarify some of, uh, of why kids do, and I know why kids do it, but it just seems like madness that you're passing up your let's call it forty fifty thousand thousand dollar a year contract to go to college, and you're signing with uh, a USL team. Um, which, yeah, it's professional, but you're making $1,500 a year, and there's no guarantee that after that year or second year that you you know are gonna progress and it's the right environment and you're gonna continue to develop. And like you said, the biggest piece is keeping and keeping players in the game as long as possible. They could be out after two years there. They could have maybe saved a couple hundred bucks because of your expenses. They don't realize, oh, they think they're making $1,500 bucks a month which may seem like a lot at 15 and 16 and 17 years old but in reality it's very very little and you're passing up your almost two hundred thousand dollar a two hundred thousand dollar contract over four years to go to college and have a a degree at the end of it
1: yeah and especially when you don't have four or five strong pro leagues you Mm have one strong one you have a second one that is becoming stronger every year and then you have a third one that's just started it's makes no sense right now to you know try to push college out which has seemingly been everybody's done they're only doing that for selfish reasons that lower the player wage and get players cheaper
0: well i don't get why they would want to push the college game out because as you know where are all these players coming from for, for these pro leagues mls usl uh, and now NISA or NASL, majority of those players are coming from college soccer. <laughs> well,
1: so it's silly, want, right? If you want, like if you're starting to see that you can sell players, then why not sign 10, you know, send, you know, eight of them on cheap contracts. If you sell one,
3: mm-hmm. you've
1: done your job. Sure. Up to those other guys to figure it out. You know, an MLS team should be doing that. that that's USL teams. They should be trying to get players at wages they want are cheap, and they can convince them anyway. U.S. soccer should be saying, hey, NCAA, let's work with you. We need college to be strong. How mm-hmm. can we help you guys work through this? You know, how can we help you maybe get a TV game or how can we do things to stabilize the college game? Because as a whole, you know, if you have, you know, there's 204 Division One teams, 20 players. Was that? Another 40,000 players playing. Yeah. Yep. Well, the chances of at least one or two breaking through are great and helping you, you know, and that that's what you want is that guy that kind of breaks through and helps uh, your national team or maybe helps an MLS team. You don't need all 40,000 of them.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That's
1: not the point, but you, you want to break through a certain percentage and why don't we, again, include them, empower them, help us put that in the pyramid. That will continue to help grow the other leagues because their quality will be... I think good in time encourage the coaches that to get education in college or to develop give them some ways to do that. U.S. Soccer should be looking at coaches from the youth, college, USL, and saying, "Hey, look, you're doing great things. I hear you. Let me get you in the B license. Mm-hmm. I know you haven't played you know 20 years in the MLS, but you've proven you can do your job. I want to I want to promote our best coaches and get them involved in coaching at a better level." That's what any business organization would do, right? You find your best employees, you move them up yeah. the ladder. If they don't have the education you want, you get them the education you want. You pay mm-hmm. for their masters. You sure. send them a lot to law school. U.S. You know, soccer seems to be doing it the other way. Yeah. You know what? Well, you haven't played pro. Well, I'm mm. sorry. You know, when I grew up, there was ten teams.
0: As, as you know, as you know, look at some of the best coaches around the world. Uh, they, uh, they weren't the best players. Mourinho, uh, you know, obviously Zidane's now the coach of Real Madrid and has had a very successful career, Guardiola. But majority of the coaches weren't fantastic players, which is why, uh, you know, they wanted to get into coaching and they pushed the, their, uh, their knowledge and, and wanted to, to become better coaches than they were players.
1: Right, and and not every coach has the money nor the time to spend uh, what they're asking
0: mm-hmm. and
1: do it, you know, especially, you know, with their other jobs. And, you know, I think U.S. You know, soccer, good. They can encourage people to do that. I think that would help, and they should seek out a little bit more. You know, if I was running coaching education, I'd be talking to all levels, hey, who's your best coaches and what makes them so good and how can we help? Mm-hmm better coaches you get means the better players you can develop and again we're moving towards developing more good players and the more good players we have the chance we don't have to have this debacle we had this last world cup right you know we can have hopefully strong enough team to where we can choose any coach we want play any style we want we have the depth in any way you want to go um that that's how i want to view it but it's you know we we go backwards we exclude before we include and we Invite more people in, and we allow competition. We allow the best to kind of rise to the top and give them a system that they can do that. You know, right now you need money to rise to the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's not always easy for everybody to have or get or or find. And I think uh, you know, essentially, I'd like to see us do from a youth level player and from a coaches level, from a refereeing level. That we start to figure out better ways that we can do this and be a little bit more on the same page from top to bottom. And, you know, college isn't sitting here trying to compete with pros. We just want to continue to develop players and yep. that and, and provide a good environment and, and be part of the process. We don't, um, and we, we're to, I think every coach would appreciate help from people to develop in that, mm-hmm. right? It's not yep. Like everybody wants to sit there and say, hey, I don't want to go and improve in my job. You know, can they be more, allow college coaches to come and watch them train and have some conversations at the MLS level with teams? You know, a lot, lot with me have been very open, so I think they're, they are they want to do that. You know, so I hope college coaches go and do that. But, you know, I, I think that. I think we just got to, you know, be a little bit more unified on how we're doing this and a little bit bigger picture thought process and not, uh, you know, just thinking of our, our one, two, or three leagues and thinking – Hey, I have to make it at 18.
0: For sure, you know? yeah.
1: Because the world-class players will make it by 18, and that'll, that'll be obvious.
0: Yeah, those are only the handful, though, right? There's only a handful right. of those players. Majority of the players that make up rosters are the the role players. The I, I right. call it run-of-the-mill player, right? Average. And then, you know, you have one Messi on Barcelona. You don't have, you know, obviously they, they have a handful of players that are, are super talented, but... Um, you know, look at look at the middle of the pack uh, of the Premier League or La Liga. Those are run of the mill players uh, for the obviously very good players. I don't want to discredit them, but there is no Messi on on Bournemouth or or Eden Hazard on on Bournemouth or Namor. right? They have solid players, um, and and those are players that were probably later bloomers, right? That probably didn't you know really solidify themselves as a professional until. 21, 22, 23 years old. Um,
1: Yeah, they probably changed position two, three times. They probably had to change their mindset from one player to, hey, I ain't going to make it with that mentality at that position, but I may be skilled enough with this mentality. So changing your mentality and personality takes time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put players time to do that and a place or places to do that, then you lose them. Yep. and then you lose you lose a player that could come back and help you i mean jamie vardy obviously is a great example
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know in america he would have been tossed out
0: yeah harry kane as well i think was a little bit later as well so
1: well so they wouldn't have had the platform to develop and turn around in america and i think that's the problem is you know we got to find a path where the guys that can do it at 16 17 18 19 can go and do it mm-hmm. and don't have to go through a system that slows down development. But now every, yeah. now
0: every 16, 17, and 18-year-old kid is thinking, okay, if I'm not in a professional setup, then I'm done, right? I'm, yeah. I'm not going to be a pro if I'm not in a pro setup by 16, 17, 18. Well, in reality, majority of those kids aren't ready. They think they're ready, or somebody may think they're ready. But there's only one, maybe, or two in a certain area that is really ready to make that jump at – 16 17 18 but there are so many kids right as you know that it's like oh i have a usl deal here and look usl is doing a good job i don't want to discredit them either but there are a lot of kids that make that jump to usl that should not be that are getting persuaded to to sign that thousand dollar a year contract to go into a quote unquote pro setup and bypass college. And you've, you, I know you've had a handful of those kids that have said, look, I'm, I'm gonna go and sign here instead of coming to you because I need to be in a pro environment. But the reality right. is they're not ready for it.
1: Right, and this is where I'd like to see the, the collaboration with US soccer and CA and say, hey, look, kids at 18 are gonna have the itch. They're gonna try to go pro. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go sign that $2,000 a month deal. Well, guess what, it didn't work out.
0: Yeah. Now what? I
1: can see now. Look, I'm two, three years away. Well, can I come back to school and and, and have a scholarship?
3: Right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They should be able to come back. You know, like, look, they can't come back at 24, but say, hey, I'm 18. I turned pro. You give them, you know, two two three year crack at it. They gotta they gotta go college here. Maybe they lose a year of eligibility or something when they join because or they, they get two later. years so of eligibility.
0: That. Maybe right? If they've signed pro, then they get two years of eligibility. You could look at something like that.
1: Yeah, we work together to figure out the solution and then the kid that goes there and says, You know what, this isn't what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I'm not developing, I'm not or I'm not playing. I shouldn't have done this. Now I've screwed this up. I can't afford to go to school. What am I gonna do? Or I gotta take out a bunch of loans. Just say, All right, now look, here's your second chance. Mm -hmm. We want everybody to keep playing. Yeah. So hey, NCA, let's look at this. You know, are they making enormous amounts of money? No. Can we ding them a little bit for a year? Maybe they only have three years to play. Yep. And they gotta finish school in four or they they have to pay for one, or the school's got to put' them through summer school to catch' them up, and maybe they redevelop and they come back out to u s l later or they go into m l s or maybe they go get a job right we prepared them for life. We've done a little bit more right by the players and and you know then kids can can kind of have a little bit of less stressful i mean you know certain parents sometimes it's the parents putting pressure on the kids, sometimes it's the kid just thinking he's better than he is. You know, sometimes it's the club saying, hey, we need to sign this guy. He's a good enough practice player. This will allow us to get the starter we need to challenge for the championship. Right. right. There's different situations. You just, you know, you can't say one works for it all, but you'd like to have more ways for kids to fall back, to continue to advance, not toss them out, not lose them at 20 because they made an immature decision at 18.
3: Right. You know, right. I
1: think that's where we need the collaboration with everybody. To kind of look through and say, all right, what level is too much money? Or what is the reality of him being a pro? All right, he made 60 grand, but he played two games in three years. Is he a pro?
3: Yeah. yeah. All
1: right, he wasn't really a pro. He didn't play. All right, so let's let him go back to school. Forget how much he made. All right, maybe he can only go back to school and, and and get a certain amount of scholarship. I don't know. Or maybe he has to pay his way for a year or two.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Whatever
1: it is. But maybe it's a game number that they have to reach a minute number sure Um,
0: well i i find something uh something that maybe should be considered is if a college scholarship over you know averages whatever let's say it's 50 grand for four years right two hundred thousand dollars i feel like the club especially at an mls level should guarantee that two hundred thousand dollars over four years or if they want to do it three years fine but they need to guarantee the equivalent to a scholarship i feel like that's how you can tell if the club seriously values a player right if they're offering only 20 grand a year um then i don't know maybe they don't think you're you're that good or that much of a value and maybe you should consider looking at going the, the college route. And if you are that good, you're gonna get signed eventually, right? And maybe that gets you more money in the long run. Um, so yeah, to tie it in, right, you wanna continue to have players play and you want them to, to make the jump at the right time. And it's so hard to, to really identify that, um, but you have a good idea over your time and your experience as a coach to really evaluate that and, and coaches and, and front office people should should have the same
1: yeah everyone you know makes mistakes whether you're the player making the rushing to rush into a decision or whether your coach bringing in a player that that you thought was the right fit but it's not mm-hmm. same thing with mls you know you thought he'd progress maybe maybe he injures himself yeah i don't know maybe he takes a injury and then maybe somebody else progresses past past him because he got the opportunity again does that mean it has to be the end for that player i think that's where we want to evaluate our process as a country and what we're doing in our leagues and colleges of how can we continue to move people on like for colleges I wish I could sign a walk-on you know and say hey look I want you to go play here for a year because I can't get you the minutes yet mm-hmm. I want you to like play a loan deal like a loan deal you know I wish there was some mechanism where you can do something like that most most kids aren't gonna say hey I can't bring them into my office and say look you know, you got Adam Najm in front of you. Yeah. You know, play for two years until he leaves. You know, unless you knock it out. But so this first year, I want you to go play for this coach who I know does a really good job. Maybe it's Division Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, go play there. We're going to bring you back after the in the spring, and now you're going to have a year and a half mentorship. You're going to sit one year behind him, but you got one year of experience. Yeah. And now, now this next 12 months, the spring and the fall, we're going to develop you to take over the reins. Yeah. Right. Rather than try to have a guy take over the reins in two weeks.
3: Mm,
2: Yeah. Which
1: is what college usually gets. And it's very difficult for some players to do that. And, you know, it's hard for college coaches to sometimes be completely patient as well because of the intensity of the season and some of the pressure of the situation. So, I'd like to see that. I think that one's far-fetched. I think that one would probably be harder to do. Yeah, unless you have a really good relationship with the the kid in the school that you're sending him to. Yeah, to that you can explain that. But, um, you know, I, I that's just my my opinion. Is be more inclusive, less exclusive. Exclusive. Try to find a way to minimize cost. You know, and keep players playing.
0: Keep players playing. So right. to so to transition and, and to go into to the next point. Um, uh, I'm trying to. I want to get your thoughts. I'm trying to piece this together in my head as well, um, and I'll tie it back into what you originally started going into with uh, what was it 2015 and 19 against Stanford, whatever those two years were. Correct me when i when uh, when you get going those two years. But
1: three times, three times in the tournament, 15, 17, and 19.
0: 15, 17, and 19 against against Stanford, and I think you said the best year was 17. Their team,
1: I, I think their best team was seventeen.
0: And their their years. team in two thousand seventeen was primarily seniors.
1: Yeah, well, it was junior, seniors, a couple uh, young guys in there, but predominantly it was the some of those guys. It was the majority of the team winning their third in a row.
0: And then what was what was the makeup at Akron of that time for the listeners? So you can clarify that the the starting eleven. I know you're you you well, remember that like it's the back of your hand.
1: Yeah, we had Ben Lund and Goal, uh, very good. Then we had Nathan Schultz, right back. So those uh, two
0: were those two were seniors at that time, or Schultz a was a senior? the yeah.
1: junior. Schultz was a senior.
0: Okay. And right.
1: uh, I was a coach who was very bold, so I had two freshman center backs. Okay. Danny Bracken and Joel uh, Moutinho. Mm-hmm. And Joel was probably the best player in college at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a left back that we moved to center back because of how we played. Nico De Vero is a senior at left back.
0: Okay. So two seniors, oh. two seniors, two freshmen and a junior so far. Yep.
1: Then we then we had a uh uh freshman, or I'm sorry, a senior Pau right? Uh, at D mid. Then our two center mids above him were Manal Cordero from Portugal, senior, mm-hmm. and then Sky Harder, who was a sophomore. Okay. I think it was was he sophomore? Yeah. Um actually it was eighteen we played Stanford in the tournament. Yeah, so he was a sophomore. Then uh left wing was Sam Gainford, senior. Mm-hmm. Uh forward was Stuart Holthousen, who was a senior. Okay. Right wing was Marcel Zajak, who was a uh uh sophomore. And then we brought David to the bench. Um you know, we brought Mo- who was a who was a freshman, Morgan Hackworth, we brought off the bench, was a sophomore uh Nick Hines was a sophomore, I think, okay. came in on the game. Um, those guys.
0: So my uh, my hypothesis then is uh, I was I was thinking that there was more underclassmen, uh, freshmen and sophomore, but it's still a majority of the team being uh, – your team, Akron at the time, was significantly younger than Stanford, it sounds like, with the Stanford team being majority juniors and seniors. And them having that – What the point I want to make is they had a a bit more maturity and experience. And I'm trying to figure out if we put together, if somebody puts together uh, a team of college players um, at the end of their senior year, um, obviously every year is different with the players that come out. But if you put together a top um, team of college players on a given year, and progress them through to a USL team and have them play against USL teams or an MLS team, that experience and maturity that they are now 23, 24, how do you think they'd fare against those teams? If you take almost an all-star team of college players, graduate them to play in a USL uh, league for a year, almost like as an open cup setup you allow them to play how do you think they'd compete and fare? because i think that's a big piece of maybe their success and a player's success right keeping players in the game longer being a bit more mature and having that experience i'm not saying every team is gonna gonna be the same when you come out of college right you're not gonna all have the same senior so um what's your thought on that like that theory of having a a team how do how how comparable are they I think it's pretty similar
1: yeah you know I want to go off the side I think they should allow colleges in the uh, US Open Cup
0: I believe the same as well
1: um, I think if you took like our that Stanford team put them in the USL league you know I think they do do very well they won't win it mm-hmm. but I, I think they'd they'd showcase themselves they wouldn't be in the bottom I think if we took some of our akron teams is we can do very well sure when you have over nine months you know i think is that if you wanted to take a college all-star team and put it together i think talent wise you'd be fine in the usl to compete very well mm-hmm. mls level you're going to struggle the speed is a lot right so when we mls teams in the spring you know we can hang in there for about 30 minutes yeah and then we sh- Physically. So I think there's an adaptation to the speed and level. Once we got that adaptation, I think we would showcase ourselves a little better. But that's a big jump. And so I don't I don't think we'd do well in the MLS. But I think in the USL that jump's a little smaller. I think it could be managed with a good coach. I think they could compete to make playoffs.
0: Yeah. No, I think you clarified what I was trying to ask uh with with simplifying it and just say, Look, Stanford would be at that time, that team would be successful in the USL. They wouldn't be, right. uh, you know, a one-win, seventeen-loss team. They'd they'd compete and they'd have uh, have uh, some success in that league. So, um, well, yeah. The next
1: year, you got to remember Corey Barrett goes in MLS Rookie of the Year.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So you know, and you had Foster Langdor. They think scored twelve to fifteen goals in USL yeah. that year. Um, you know that that type of stuff. You had other guys that have played on that team that will be on the MLS roster, USL roster currently, um, you know, so, you know, the talent's there, um, but I thought that team, that was the culmination of them after past confidence, experience, mentality, um, was good, 15, they had Jordan Morris, Brandon Vincent, right, but I don't feel like they had the confidence or that, and they were searching for it and,
0: and, those guys you know. those guys were younger those years though Jordan was younger that year so he was still a junior. he
1: left he left he was a junior. that year
0: okay so a, junior. a older. Vincent was a senior yeah so uh,
1: but the rest of that team was a lot of freshmen that went on to stay for two three years yeah uh, a, lot, a lot of them a couple of seniors like uh, Tommy Thompson's brother Tanner was on that team as a senior uh, you know the goalkeeper I mean we've had some good matches in the tournament you know we've we lost in pks we beat them in uh, 18 at their place and then they beat us in the semifinals um in 17 as well as, as in the pk shootout so um we've had some really good matchups it's two different kind of styles of play but i really appreciate what he does there i think that's good for the game when you have guys that are playing maybe a different way than than that there's a lot of people that like it Mm -hmm. uh, but it it forced us to be at our best to beat them and and that's what you want you know you want teams to play their style their identity very well and force you to have to be at your best to beat them that's the nature of competition Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what it looked like is you know is your a game needed if it is then that team's done a pretty good job
3: yeah you know
0: yeah and uh, now the point that I, I wanted to make to, to before we move on is like that that Stanford uh, period uh, where they had a, a lot of successes they had uh, that younger bunch that learned from you know Jordan Morris and and Brandon Vincent at the time right and then they put in there a couple of years um, and and those guys in 17 or 18 whatever it was are now having pretty successful USL career. Some guys, like you said, Corey Baird made the jump to MLS, Rookie of the Year. So that extra time um, to to mature those four years, three years for some of the guys to mature in college, propelled them on to have opportunities in uh, in MLS, USL that maybe wouldn't have been afforded to them if they made the jump, you know, prior to going into to Stanford right at 17 or 18. You know, they got those three extra years. Um, four extra years, sorry, to mature, develop, showcase themselves, and then get the opportunity at the right time to make the the next jump from college to uh, to the professional level, USL or MLS. Right. So. right,
1: and I think I think guys like Brandon Vincent are a great example.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, you look at our team, on that team, I think Nico De Vera and Nathan Schultz are great examples.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He, Nico didn't start for us for two and a half years. Right. You know, I'm stuck with it. And finally got the confidence and everything right his last year and a half. And he's still playing. Same thing with Nathan Schultz. Mm -hmm. He was a forward that had to be converted, You know, as we talked about before, to make it. And had to go through growing pains. A good sophomore year. And then in 15, when he was uh, starting right back in the Final Four in 15, as a sophomore, his first year playing. Well, he was crap as a junior at right back and got benched. And mm-hmm. then had to overcome that to win his job back in seventeen to where he was really good, really good year. Um he needed that, right? You know, he's a local kid from Cleveland. Yeah. That, you know, nobody knew of, wasn't highly recruited. You know, that, that's what some some scout colleges can provide, you know. Yeah. Um and I think we can't lose that fact. And USL right now, they don't have the scouting network necessarily built up yet nor identity
0: nor identity like we talked about right a lot of clubs don't right. have a specific identity they're just looking for talent right which that talent may not be a fit for their their team or yeah. their lack of identity i guess
2: right
1: they're, they're still finding ways through on a business side and on the field and so i don't know i think i think we could work together and we could be a, a, a freaking world power but we just kind of hold ourselves back and, mm-hmm. and you know don't want to collaborate better ideas and don't want to find a way to to take advantage of all the resources we have here. Sure. If you're going to have 204 colleges foot the bill for four years of development by all means take advantage of it. I mean anybody that's been to Akron Stanford, Virginia UNC and all these places know the facilities and development structure they have mm-hmm. you know why not you know if, it's it's a great fallback option for for players that maybe you're unsure of yeah. If you want, if I was running in MLS team, we want a player. We're gonna get him. Yeah. Want to make sure the player gets an offer. We want. If we're unsure of, and the kid will say, "Look, we're gonna make this offer." I say, "Well, coach, I don't know. Is that well?" Then go there. Let's see you develop. If we develop good. Let's revisit this. Right. We're not giving up on you, but we don't want you to make a rash decision based on the rules now that we're not completely sold that you're gonna develop. But as soon as we we want you back, this or that, we want you to be open to it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'd like to see the difference of our, you know, why don't you come play for a year and then let us see in the environment, give you better feedback, say, you know what, let's go to college two years, you know, now, right, that type of stuff rather than, right now, it's all or nothing for the kids. I feel bad. It's a tough situation. The kid, no kid wants to go to school mm-hmm. over playing soccer for a living. Right. You know, if I had right. that choice at 18, I may take the 1500 a month because I want to play.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's like you're you're making those decisions, you know that.
0: At a time uh, you sh- at a time in your life where you shouldn't be making those decisions, shouldn't be left up to you to make that decision, right? right. <laughs>
1: yeah, and parents sometimes are wise about it, and sometimes they're not. Yeah. But I think you know, like you said earlier, if if they want you and the offer's there, hey, we're going to give you two hundred thousand of education on mm-hmm. top of the two grand a month. Yeah. Well, then that means they want to invest in you. Sure. Um, And they can build that, and then they're hoping they can pay that two hundred thousand to you later in your career at their club, in one or two years. I would probably do something like, look, every year you play USL, we keep you on the roster, we give you fifty thousand dollars towards
0: education, a stipend, yeah, for online courses or something, yeah.
1: But the salary is going to be two grand,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because that fits our budget.
0: That's
2: fair.
1: Uh, You know, I'd do something like that, but I think. You know, like I said, I think that's the conversations that need to be having in U.S. soccer on both the men's and women's level. Um, you know, the college men's and women's teams should be working together, and we don't. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, it's like everyone's trying to progress their own own situation, and we've got no leadership from the top to look, say, hey, look, MLS, great. I get it. You want this, but we're in charge of the whole country. Yeah. This is what's bad. Fall into place on this issue, right? Back right.
3: off. Mm-hmm.
1: Right or look, non-DA clubs and look, come and get your players if they want them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a free world to move. If the kid likes that situation, they can go. You know, they gotta they gotta have a little bit more of this, not do it a sneaky way, which I feel like they're doing now. Um, you know, almost feels like they're collaborating. I think U.S. soccer needs to think of how can we make the youth system the best like we talked about earlier how do we make USL and USL 1 continue work together
3: to yeah you know,
1: how can we help college to continue to produce players so we can fill these USL and USL 1 teams with more quality guys and give them a chance to continue to grow um all this you know cuz you hate to see it right you you go to the MLS rosters well the guys that are highest paid are typically the foreign guys
3: You're right yep
1: so that tells you right now that there's more confidence in other people's system than ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we we're taking advantage of our own people one of the two neither mm-hmm. one is what we want so we got to we got to keep fine-tuning how we do things.
0: Yeah. Two two questions before we wrap up here you can answer them in either order if you need uh more time to think on one over the other. Um one most difficult college team uh you guys played against uh over your tenure it can be let's let's keep it within the last decade um and then um one that's more of a personal one to me um and and some insight maybe you can share um since as you know i i look after them and represent them, aiden quinn um how has a player like that not had the opportunity um at an MLS level um, with the the body of work that he's had. And, you know, listeners may say, well, are you reaching out or are you talking to MLS clubs? Yes, yeah, so we talk to MLS clubs on a weekly basis. Um, and, and the evaluation is now we're gonna go, you know, another direction. What what direction could possibly, obviously it's uh, like you bring up the, the Diego Valeris or a belief in another development system. Um, but from, from your experience and you've brought him up earlier, a guy that should probably be in the the starting eleven or could easily be in that starting eleven because of his um, you know competitiveness um, and his drive to win. Um, you know, he could be one of those even you know middle of the pack roster guys that fills fills the brings the level up um, and you know takes up a domestic spot rather than seeking an international that, uh, you know, who knows how things are gonna pan out. So you can answer either of those questions in either order um, and take it from there.
1: Yeah, I think think, uh, 2017 Stanford is the best difficult team. And I think if I went to a second one, um, I would go to Jack Harrison's Wake Forest's team.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I think we're talking about two different ways of preparing Stanford. You gotta prepare for the system, the mentality, um, their pressure and just their execution at a high level for 90 minutes you know you, you can't take a break I think uh, that Wake team had so many weapons you had to really you know think about how you're going to deal with the weapons but yet you know where can you take advantage of them you know and that was a great game we lost 2-1 to one at our place but right. it was a tremendous game yep, I um, remember that. That, that those are the games you want to see and I think both offer different challenges and were very fun to coach and it's funny I bring up two that we lost, but um, you know I had a lot of fun ones that we won, including the Creighton one, which I thought was a tremendous game. Mm. That Creighton game was was very difficult as well. Um, you know that's a fun one I always remembered. And then uh, obviously the Stanford and the Elite Eight at their place, beat mm-hmm.
0: them there. Yeah, that was a really um, good one.
1: But you know, in terms of Quinn, you know we asked ourselves this question not only with Quinn and, but with Najum some of these guys it was richie before we finally got a chance because i was begging people to take him. yeah so like you
0: you bring up you bring up adam which is something probably i should have clarified too and the question is adam adam had an opportunity within an mls club right i don't think it was the right timing or setup um but yeah he should be one that i think is is getting looked at by another mls club so sorry to to uh yeah this
1: is where i think quinn's you know, dilemma is, is 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 I think people get caught up. Is he a six? Is he an eight? What ground can he cover? What can he not? And those hesitations make the decision for the clubs instead of, you know, giving him a long look. He's not a guy that you bring in for two days and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh.
3: No. Where's no. It
1: my pen? It's his consistency level, his intangibles, his drive, his MLF quality um, – and it, it hurts that he hasn't gotten a chance. And I I would personally play him as an eight because his ability to read runs in the box, his ability to go box to box and control the game and read situations is, I think, a very good level. Um, as a six, you have to kind of – he has to be a little more tamer, and I don't think you get everything you want. I think you see his height and his passing range and maybe his lack of mobility and thinks maybe as a six with cover you can help him, but I actually think as an eight, he, he can run all day. Yep. Let him run, let him read situations, let him move the team, let him drive, let his competitiveness and his, his, his personality just push people. Cause that's where he's really good. Mm-hmm. When he can get after he guys. He brings the level up.
2: Come,
1: yeah. When he can, when they start to trust him and he can get after him and compete and tell him, Hey, we got to keep going. He's tremendous. And, and that's, you know, why I just, you know, that's where it gets hard at the next level is, uh, that opportunity, and he may have had it four years ago, and that's it. Yeah. You know, once you pigeonhole, it, sometimes it's, it's it. You're done. And I think they don't sometimes go back and revisit players, um, and that that have maybe continue to develop. But I'm with you. He, he deserves a shot and a long look. And you know, I would be if I joined a team, he'd be in training camp, having a good two months to do that. Yeah. Um, for me, I think he'd be one that we would all want to keep. Uh, that that's how I'd play him four two three one probably as an eight.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That
1: way he can he can you know do a little bit of everything well, uh, not just kind of pigeonhole him. I think you know what people overrate sometimes. I think athleticism. When I went and watched Rakitic in the European Cup in 2016, I went and took my wife for the first time to watch any game in Europe. Mm-hmm and she's like, "Oh my god, who is that guy? He is so slow. I think I'm faster than him." Yeah. I'm like, "Well, you you don't know him." I'm like, it's, <laughs> you know, racketed. He's at Barcelona. She goes, "He plays at Barcelona?" Yeah. Like, like that's slow. I'm like, continue to watch him. See how and when he moves, his touch,
3: Sure.
2: the
1: way he does things. Like, "Oh, no. At the end of the game, she's like, I can see why." Yeah. Beginning of the game, she's looking at athleticism, typical American.
3: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: what the hell is he doing on the field? He's going to get killed. And I think sometimes with Aiden, you kind of look at him and he doesn't maybe always run fluidly like a great athlete. Right. And you maybe just switch off on him. But you watch him game in, game out. You talk to anybody that coaches him, practice in, practice out. He is at his best, high level, driving the team. And that's why all of his teams he's played on him have
2: well
0: yeah very well yeah
1: all won they've all competed for championships and people have got to understand he's the driving force behind that and i think those mls teams just don't don't look at that they're looking for the next guy that is is diego Valera and they're missing on a very good guy that they can get at a good price that can
0: very good price
2: yeah
1: right it's it's kind of like what lafc did with 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 k yep. from louisville fc yeah you know that they're, they're uh, sitting on another guy that can maybe have an impact like that, and just overlooking him. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. But that—that's my my thing. Is he can move the team. He can pass well. He fights. He defends. He's unbelievably fit. But man, you add all that with his intangibles, you're not going to be disappointed. I guarantee you that.
0: Yeah, that's great insight and really good evaluation. Um, so Jared, the way I usually wrap up the podcast is I have the guests share a memorable soccer experience uh, from their career. Could be your time as a player or a time as a coach, you know, a locker room talk, something that happened on the field, you know, in a coach's meeting, uh, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, the floor is yours.
1: I just hope it doesn't get me in trouble. Uh, yeah, we are playing Cleveland State 2010. Uh-huh. And uh, we, you know, Kofi was out. Michael Manchoff was out. So we changed the lineup, and we took Scotty Caldwell out of the starting lineup. And uh, we get to halftime at zero zero, and we were playing like kind of like a four four two diamond mm-hmm. at the time, and we were playing four two three one that game, and uh, kind of moved our right winger inside. So it was kind of gave our full back the whole win. Um,
2: sure.
1: So halftime, Caleb asked me, "What do you want?" what do you want to do? What do you think we should do? I'm like, I think we should put Scotty Caldwell in and go to four four two. Yeah. Why would we do that? He has zero goals, zero assists. And this is like two games left in the regular season.
2: I'm
1: like, yeah, I know. I know it doesn't seem to make sense. I just think the team plays better
3: mm-hmm. with
1: them and everybody else moves a little better and we're a little bit more fluid. And he just berates me for like 10 minutes. And he's like, that's not what we should do. I asked you. What, I, so I gave you my opinion. If you don't want to do it, <laughs> that's fine. You walk over there. I'm, everybody's going to think I'm agreeing with you. I ain't going to bat an eye. Yeah. So we get over there. We have like two minutes left in the talk. We speed talk to halftime. We come back out. He has. We have made subs. We put in probably three guys uh, that haven't played in weeks, right, or a month. And Scotty sits the bench. Oh no. Scott since the bench the whole half. We lose two to one to Cleveland State, only lost that year, embarrassing loss. And uh, I remember that halftime, and I remember coming in the office on Monday and uh, Caleb sitting there going, you know what? I, th- I think we're gonna put Scotty Caldwell back in the line. <laughs> and we're gonna just leave him there. No one, no one. we're not gonna pull him out. We're not gonna do anything. We're just leaving him. I'm like, what made you change your mind? Well, it's like I thought a little bit about halftime, and then I was talking to Kofi. and Kofi says, Scotty's so important thinking to myself, well, glad Kofi had, had more of an influence than me. <laughs> um, well, we put Scotty back in, rarely took him out. Well, scores the, scored the national championship goal in 10 and uh, had five goals in the tournament. Wow. And, you know, went from zero and zero to just that extra confidence and belief uh, that Caleb gave him for that tournament run, turned it around and ended up helping us win it. That one always sticks out because, uh, you know, now it's funny because of the end result, but I remember – thinking at halftime my gosh should I change my mind and just yeah. go with what he's saying or like, do I just stick stick to it and I was like I gotta to stick to it it's my opinion I don't I didn't really have another great opinion You're Right. like that was it I was looking for him to find another answer he Just he's so competitive sometimes you just argue just to see who wins but that moment he may not remember he probably doesn't
0: but, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do behind know, the scenes get me in trouble, that,
1: that one sticks because it's just
0: What'd you do behind the scenes with Scotty to light the fire under him to to get those what would you say five goals five assists what was it?
1: I did I did nothing I always liked him and gave him confidence I think Caleb finally did it because he was always in and out of the game with Mm. him and Ben Spees and you know but what Scotty was so good at was freeing up Kofi right covering Kofi freeing up him reading Ampi and Darwin's movements and balancing out the squad but yet moving the team. Mm -hmm. and finally we just you know Caleb gave him the confidence and I said to Scotty, you know I was just going to the tournament I said look when you can get in the box to score goals get in the box and score goals you don't have to you know you have everybody's trust now don't don't sit there and worry about you know missing a defensive action if you can go and score and I think that just kind of released a big goal against Cal, you know in the lead eight you Mm -hmm. know as well and I think that just, you know, like players need belief and confidence and they can sense it when they have it and that can free them up. And um, I think that was a a turning point for our team. And it was an embarrassing loss, right? Cleveland State only won like five games that year, maybe four.
0: Well, we beat Cleveland State my senior year, I think 5 nothing. so maybe that makes up for the loss in 2010 just a little bit. But, um, Jared, I think we should also mention what is the Akron player, right? That was mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, and I'm sure there are some listeners that are curious. Can you describe the Akron player for us before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I think, I think they got to combine skill, intelligence, uh, drive, and confidence, I think those are four key words for us because the way we're going to play, you're going to have to be able to move the ball and and receive and play in tight areas. And uh, intelligent wise, you're going to have to be able to understand how everybody works together and the movements and everything that goes into creating a very attractive style. And and you need the drive. You got to want to improve. You know, you got to want to want to do it both sides of the ball, right? And then you got to have the confidence because you're going to be up against a lot of good players, and there's going to be tough moments put on you from coaches, myself, and teammates. And you got to believe that you can always advance and make through and and make the playoffs on the games and the tough situations. So I think those are are four key words we look for all the time.
0: Jared, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight. Um, It's something that I think we should look to do again sometime. We talked about a lot. We're all over the place. Maybe next time you come on, we can narrow down a few points um, and look to discuss them. Um, but this is great. I appreciate it. I hope the listeners appreciate it as well and gain something from it. And I look forward to doing it again sometime with you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Anytime. Love to come on and talk talk shop.